Mark chapter 15, verse 6 to verse 20. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed a murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? Why evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him with a paper cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with the reed, and spitting on him, and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the pepper cloak and put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. Mark chapter 15, verse 15, that to verse 20. And I've, we are today looking at the violent suffering of Jesus. What do you think and feel about the violent suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ? I think there is nothing more important in life than thinking, feeling, and allowing the violent suffering of Jesus to shape how we live our lives every day. You see, how we treat the suffering of Jesus not only affects where we will spend eternity, it impacts on how we live now in a world full of violence and other kinds of suffering. So today we're exploring this question, why did Jesus suffer violently? We're doing that because we are in Mark chapter 15, verse 15 to verse 20. We have been going through Mark now um, for a long time now. This is Psalm 122 in Mark. And uh, we have been going through Mark verse by verse. And now we have made it to this 15th chapter and we are in verse 15 to verse 20. And these verses we're looking at today helps us answer that question. Why did Jesus suffer violently? Because in this passage, we see a description of the violent suffering of Jesus at the hands of Pontius Pilate. And there are two truths in this passage. I just want to draw out from this passage. There are many truths in this passage. But there are particularly two I just want us to uh, draw out from this passage that helps to answer that question. Why did Jesus suffer violently? Well, the first answer we get, the first 
point really I want to share with you from this passage is that Jesus suffered violently by us. He suffered violently by human beings, by us. It is the first Good Friday the world has ever had. We are in the year 33. Uh, you remember from previous weeks and last week that the religious leaders have brought the Lord Jesus before the Roman colonial governor Pontius Pilate. They want Pilate to put Jesus to death. And we saw last week that Pilate has examined Jesus and he can't find any fault with him. But after more pressure from the mob, uh, he decides to take the knee. Look at verse 15. So Pilate Wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Now that sounds a bit puzzling, isn't it, when we look at those words, that Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, releases Barabbas and scourges Jesus, and he delivers him over to be crucified. It should puzzle us because given that Pilate knows Jesus is innocent, it seems strange that he's now scourging Jesus before the crowd. Is he just putting up a show for them? Well, not necessarily. In fact, at this time in history, it was normal to flog criminals before crucifying them. The shock and loss of blood is meant to speed up the death of the one who is about to be crucified. So we might say the scourging done to Jesus is, is a sort of sick form of unintentional mercy. And here's the thing we need to know about what's happening to Jesus. What we need to remember is that our Lord Jesus is being scourged by the Romans, not the Jews. That's important. Because you see, the Jews administered synagogue floggings of 40 lashes minus one. And they did that with rods. Paul talks about that, doesn't he? He received 39 lashes. That's what the Jews did. But the Roman soldiers are using what is known as a cat o' nine tails, with no limit to the scourging. This instrument of torture consists of long leather straps embedded with pieces of bone or glass and lead balls which are then woven into the thongs for deadly impact. The Jewish historian Josephus tells us that the ferocity of Roman flogging could even leave a man lacerated to the bone with deadly scourges. In fact, the only provision in Roman law was that a man should be flogged until the flesh hung from the back. Many people did not survive Roman flogging. That is the brutal violence our Lord Jesus is enduring here. The one who walked on water. The one who calmed the storm. The one who raised dead people to life. That is the brutality he is enduring here. And it is only the start, isn't it? Because after our Lord Jesus is publicly scourged, the soldiers now take him inside Pilate's headquarters. We read in verse 16 this. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, 
And they called together the whole battalion. So what is happening now is that our Lord Jesus is now under sole control of Roman soldiers. These soldiers are part of what is known as the Italian cohort. They are very racist towards Jewish people. And as soon as they have our Lord Jesus to themselves, they dress him up in a purple cloth. In the ancient world, purple symbolized royalty. And then what they do is they get a crown of thorns and they press it on the Lord Jesus' head. And as the blood is dripping from the head, they start mocking him as a fake king. They want to make the point that he is not Caesar. He's just a fake king of a fake people. Verse 17 to verse 19. Here is how Mark records it for us. And they clothed him in a paper clock and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews. This is a parody for what would have been um, ever Caesar or hell Caesar. Verse 19. And they were striking his head with the reed and spitting on him. The spitting is, is actually, it should be a kiss of homage, but they're spitting to make the point that he doesn't deserve the kiss of homage that kings receive. He deserves spit. And of course, they are kneeling down in homage to him. The thing I want to draw your attention to is that point there, isn't it, in verse 19. And they were striking his head with the reed. It's worth remembering that the original word for reed here is kalamos. It is a papyrus reed that is like a bamboo stalk. It resembles a bamboo stalk. What they are doing here is that they are eating Jesus on the head with a pole or a very big stick. All of this physical and emotional abuse being dished out to our Lord Jesus Christ is a warm-up act for his crucifixion, which is going to happen in a few hours from now. We read about that in verse 20. That's where he's headed. Verse 20 says, And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the paper cloak, and they put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. Now, Mark here is not dwelling on the gory details of the violence against Jesus. There's more to describe what's happening to Jesus than what is put here. Rather, what Mark and the rest of our other gospel writers, they are very, they try and not play up, do too much of the physical acts, physical violence on Jesus. They just give us enough for us to take it in. Because what Mark is doing here is that he wants us to register two important things. First of all, Mark wants us to see that Jesus is a full human being suffering violence from other human beings. The blood of Jesus, if you like, is red. Jesus is a victim of human-on-human violence. And this violence against Jesus reminds us of just how violent we as human beings are are towards other human beings. We have been this way since Cain murdered Abel. You know, we so easily forget that physical violence is part of the accepted way of life in our society. It is so embedded in our society in ways we don't even stop, reflect, and think about. Think about this. Our government supports the killing 
of more than 200,000 unborn little ones every year. 200,000 every year. And that's an underestimate. And the government not being satisfied with that, they want more killing. Because they are pushing for that, of course, in Northern Ireland. On top of that, so the, the society in the UK, we don't even talk about that. Of course, there are terrible murders happening abroad, and we are happy to protest those, right? And I think it's right that we as individuals should be concerned about violence against people, especially if it's racial violence. But what about the 200,000? Who's protesting for them? What about their lives? Don't those lives matter? The hypocrisy. The sheer hypocrisy of people. I want you to also think that on top of all of that, think of the millions of other acts of physical violence that is reported and the ones which go unreported. Taken together, we are a violent people. We are a violent people. And that is just physical violence. There is also the non-physical violence we dish out. The emotional injury we inflict on other people by our words. There is that. There is also the material exploitation. The plunder of other human beings. We have created economic structures that exploit other human beings. Think about for the moment the clothes you wear. Some of them are sourced from terrible sweatshops from Bangladesh and China and Vietnam exploiting people. Oh friends, we are all swimming in the river of human on human violence. And you and I cannot end this human violence. No matter how much we try, therapy won't end it. Marxist movements like BLM won't end it. Good laws won't end it. Big government, small government won't end it. The only one who can end it is God. We need God, you see, because our biggest problem is not violence against each other, it is our violence against God. You see, the violence we commit against one another is just a symptom of a deeper violence we commit against God. The spiritual violence we inflict on the God who made us. And this is the second thing Mark just wants us to note here as we think about the fact that Jesus is suffering violence at our hands here. Mark is hoping that we are keeping in mind that Jesus, who is suffering here, is not only fully God, fully man, but he's also fully God. All the last 14 chapters have been about that. The whole book of Mark from verse 1 is written to demonstrate that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. You see that in verse 1, is God the Son? Is God coming to reign? And throughout Mark, we have seen Jesus establish if you like, Jesus demonstrated his divinity. From the beginning, he heals the sick. He's raising the dead. He's bringing, he's opening blind eyes. 
is opening deaf ears. We are seeing Jesus walk on water. We are seeing Jesus come the storm. We are seeing Jesus preach with heavenly authority. We are seeing Jesus transfigured in chapter 9. We have seen God, heaven, rip open the thought. And the Father speaks and authenticates him as God the Son. We've seen the scriptures through Peter confess, you are the Christ. So, his divinity is obvious. Jesus deserves our worship. And, but Mark wants to draw attention here that what we are seeing here though, is that the one who deserves our worship is being violated by us. Is being terrorized by human beings. And the sad truth is that the faces of these soldiers belongs to all of us. All of us are by nature violent abusers of God our creator. Now I know as you sit here thinking to yourself, that's a bit of a stretch, isn't it? That's a bit of a statement. How do I commit violence against God? I hear you ask. After all, God is spirit. So how can I commit violence against him? I wasn't there. Are you going on some historic injustice route here? Well, you commit violence against God every time you treat God less than he deserves. Isn't that what violence is? Violence is treating others less than they deserve. When you do physical acts of violence against somebody, you're treating them like an animal rather than as a human being. Well, we do violence against God when we treat God less than he deserves, less than his dignity. God is infinitely great, infinitely powerful, infinitely perfect, infinitely wise, infinitely good, infinitely just, infinitely glorious. He alone deserves all authority in your life. But when you do not obey what God commands you to do, you are violently attacking his infinite dignity. You are insulting the God who made you. You are mocking and abusing him. You are reducing God to your level. You are saying God is a nobody. That's what sin says. Every time you sin, that's what you're doing. Every time I sin, that's what I'm doing. Do you see you and I are all guilty of violating our great God. We might say we are born that way since Adam. We are violators of God. All sin is a violent assault on his rule and authority. A desecration of his very being. There is no one here, no one, who has never spat on God in his face. There is no one here who has not knocked God in the head. I am guilty. You are guilty. And you and I can never have life with God without first admitting and allowing that truth to crush us. Beloved, if we are hearing this and we are even like... When is this going to finish? Then we don't get it. We don't get the cross. We don't get just how terrible we are. You are guilty of heinous violence against the God who created you. I am guilty of that. 
And you and I cannot have life with God until we come to that position of truly understanding that. Do you see and feel your violence against God? Do you see how serious your sin against God is? Do you see how you violate him? Do you see that you deserve his punishment? Well, if you do, then I have good news for you. The good news is our second point. The first point is that Jesus suffered violently by us. That's what we learn. But the second truth we learn here is that Jesus suffered violently for us. The most shocking thing as we make our way to Golgotha, as we're on this road to Golgotha, the most shocking thing is that our Lord is... The most shocking thing is not the pain of torture that Jesus is suffering. The most shocking thing is that Jesus is God allowing himself to suffer like this. And that initially, that immediately brings us to the question we've been asking throughout, why is Jesus doing this? Well, you see, because Jesus has come to suffer human violence to save us. Listen to me. He has come to suffer human violence to save us from divine violence that we deserve. The suffering of Jesus is redemptive. It is not for himself. It is for us. And we see this truth, interesting enough, in an important detail that Mark includes in verse 17. Did you miss it in verse 17? Look at verse 17. And they clothed him in a paper cloak. And then did what? And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. Twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. The soldiers twisted and pressed into Jesus' head a crown of thorns. Now, Roman emperors wore vegetative crowns of laurel or withered celery. That's what they wore, right? Plant things. The crown the soldiers have fashioned for Jesus is also leafy. Except it was a painful crown woven with spiky thorns. Where am I going with this? Why, why does Mark mention this? I think Mark wants us to remember what happened in the Garden of Eden. Do you remember what God did when Adam and Eve rebelled against him? We are told in Genesis 3 verse 18 that God cursed the earth with thorns. What had come easily and free before they sinned now became attached with pain and suffering. And now here we are seeing God in human flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ, as he's being led to his death, he's literally carrying the curse on his head. He has come to reverse what Adam caused. He's taking on himself literally the curse of God's wrath. Mark wants us to see, beloved, that our Lord Jesus has come to take on himself the curse of God for us. He has come to suffer the wrath and punishment that we deserve. And he has come to do it in our place. As I said, our sin is violence against God. And the wages of our violence against God is that all of us are destined to suffer everlasting violence at the hands of God in hell. 
to suffer eternal torment at the hands of God. But the good news of this passage is that the human violence Jesus is suffering is part of his spiritual suffering in our place. He is suffering for us. The human violence against Jesus is a prelude, isn't it? It's a prelude. It's a preamble. It's the introduction to the cross where Jesus suffered the full wrath, the full violence, we might say, of God for us. He was crushed, we are told in Isaiah, in our place. It pleased the Lord to crush him. You see, if Jesus had decided to avoid the Roman scourging, the blood spilling, the mockery of the soldiers, there will be no one sat here today. None of us could ever escape the wrath of God. But thank God our Lord willingly submitted all the way to the cross because hidden inside his human suffering was a spiritual suffering for us. On that cross, God the Father unleashed on God the Son, Jesus, the wrath and punishment we deserve. Our Lord suffered divine violence for me, for you, beloved. Because Jesus has suffered for us, all who repent and trust in the violent suffering of Jesus are rescued from the eternal violence of hell. You and I can only benefit from the violent suffering of Jesus if we truly repent. We must come before God and place ourselves at his mercy. Must be a true repentance. You must admit you are an abuser of God. You must admit you must look at yourself. Don't look at another person, look at yourself. You must admit you are an abuser of God. Now, and now you are turning from your sin. And you are begging God to forgive you. You are begging God, not the other person, you. You are begging God to forgive you because Jesus has suffered for you. You have allowed this truth to sink in and is bringing you to the foot of the cross. And if you repent, if you turn to God genuinely, if you do that, then... God will forgive you of your sin. If you have done that, God has forgiven your sin. He has freed you from the eternal torment of hell that awaits all who reject his son. The violent suffering of Jesus has healed your spiritual sickness of sin. You are now spiritually healthy before God. You belong to him now forever. And because now you are a true follower of Jesus... This amazing truth that our Lord suffered violently for us must now shape how you live. Having truly repented, we must now allow this truth to shape us. Isn't it? We must allow it to shape how we live. How does this truth, how should this truth shape how we live? Two quick points. And the social distancing, isn't it? So let's be quick. Two quick points, right? The first thing is this. You must... Let the violence, first of all, you must let the violent suffering of Jesus truly fill your heart with gratitude for having such a wonderful and glorious Lord and Savior. For a child of God, the first response to this truth is worship, 
thankfulness. Oh, beloved, imagine Jesus there, stripped and shackled in that circle of hate. The circle of hate of the Roman soldiers. Imagine it as they line up and scourge his sinless body. Imagine with me as the scourges rise again and again on him who spoke the universe into existence. As our Lord bleeds and cries in agony, every strike against his skin, every blow to his head, every spit in his face, every mocking word, every evil look towards him, our Lord Jesus is suffering this for you, beloved, for you. He did it for you while you still hated him. While you were still a rebel. He did it because he loved you and he chose you before the ages began. To borrow from Timothy Brindle, before the ages began. Jesus suffered to bring you home, to bring you home. I think sometimes, I don't think I know for myself. Sometimes we forget just how wonderful it is to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus. We forget how marvelous, how awesome the Lord Jesus Christ is. We take these precious truths for granted. We've heard them so many times. Sadly, they hardly move us. Oh, let us not forget. Yes, we say, let us not forget Gethsemane. Let us not forget the cross, period. Let us thank and worship our Messiah every day for his amazing grace to us. We do not deserve a God like this. A wonderful God. So the first response is worship. Thankfulness for all that Jesus has done. Well, the second thing is this. There is more, but just I'll end on this point. The second thing is that we must let the violent suffering of our Lord Jesus encourage us to look to him when we are suffering any violence in our lives. As I said at the beginning, no one is immune to violence. All of us have and will continue to suffer mental and emotional violence from people around us. Everyone. Mental, psychological, and emotional violence. It is a fact of life. We may experience mockery for Jesus. Or just mockery, period. Humiliation. Shaming. Emotional cohesion from people around us. Verbal insults. Name-calling. Harassment. Racial abuse. The list is endless. If you're a human being you will suffer emotional and mental violence. And some of you sat here this morning, or perhaps not, have experienced or are experiencing physical violence in your life. I do not just mean violence at the playground. I mean, sometimes Christians experience violence, physical violence, in our homes. Many Christian spouses have found themselves physically abused at the hands of supposed Christian spouses. We 
must be open about that. We're talking about the violence that our Lord Jesus Christ suffered. So we should be open about this. You know, when Brenda got married to a professing Christian, everything was rosy. Until her husband started making nasty comments about her. You breathe too loud. You breathe too loud? Your smile is silly. You look terrible. You're too fat now. Do you have anything better to wear? This went on for many years in their marriage, actually. Until Brenda realized her husband's comments were not true. The penny finally dropped. She was being emotionally and mentally abused. And so she did what any Christian would do. In fact, any loving wife would do. She lovingly confronted him about it. And that's when it happened. He picked up a chair and he hit her with it. These stories are very common, actually. Very, very common. Sadly, because we don't often talk about them, believers who suffer emotional or mental violence from their spouses never share their pain with us. Even if we do talk about them, we don't go further to inquire of their true state, of how they are getting it. And I make this point because this is not just about women. Husbands can suffer this violence from their wives. I've heard it myself. One of the things we are praying for, I'm sure, is that God would grow a gospel culture among us that enables us to open our lives to each other. And we have to pray that the Lord helps us to become like that. We can't simply make assumptions about marriages. I don't know what mental or physical violence most of you have experienced or are currently going through. I, I don't know. I'd love to know you guys deeper. And, and I pray that I get to know you deeper to understand this and, have, and know you more. And I pray that you would know others deeper to know this. But as things stand... I don't know what mental or physical violence you may be currently going through or have experienced in the past that is still affecting you today. What I do know is that Jesus is the answer. Jesus is God who has come to take on himself our violence. He has come to suffer violence with us, with you. And so Jesus is more than equipped to care for us. He's the only one who's equipped to care for us. And so my encouragement this morning is that do not pull yourself up by the bootstrap. Do not look to the world. Bring your pain to this Jesus. Go to him. Cry for his comfort. And as we go to Jesus, let us remember this. All forms of violence is a sin against God. So do not excuse it. In your wife or your husband. That's what happens. Many people excuse it. Oh, it's just like that. The Bible calls us to forgive others. But it does not say we should excuse them. Now, I'm not trying to encourage you to buy into the victim culture. You know, I've been preaching against that of late. 
I am saying sin must be confronted for it to be repented of. If your spouse mentally abuses you, don't excuse him for it. Call out the sin in them. If there is physical violence in your marriage, you must call the police and tell the church. In pattern. I believe that's God's will for you. Your safety matters in life. And the final thing, just to plead, is when it comes to this difficult topic of violence, emotional violence, physical violence, is a, please open up to us. Let us in. Talk to me or someone you trust. If you're suffering any violence, we are your family in Christ. We are not the answer. Jesus is the answer. But we are here to point one another to Jesus. And he has given us his spirit and his word to help us. Because we have asked that question, isn't it? Why did Jesus suffer violence? Well, our Lord Jesus willingly suffered violence by us and for us. And he did this so that we can live and flourish with him. Now and for all eternity. So let us rest in him. Amen.